0: Welcome to Coffee and Lore, a brew of fabled stories. As the show continues to grow, so too do my ideas. When I was at PodFest a few months ago, my friend Carolyn, who is the host of Wellness While Walking made a suggestion that I include coffee and lore episodes where I sit down and discuss a variety of topics with my friends, as if we were sitting and telling tales over coffee. I love the idea and have decided to incorporate it into our schedule. In these episodes, we'll discuss tales about local legends, real-life ghostly encounters, and I'll even share some listener stories that have been submitted. And of course, there will be lots of caffeine. Speaking of which, I'm enjoying some coffee right now. I take mine black, of course. <laughs> and I'm sipping from my Yellowstone Yeti mug because a year ago this week, I was in Yellowstone. So much has changed since then. But I really wish I could be there right now, hiking to Fairy Falls. Ah. Uh, anyway, today we're going to be delving into some dark history about an abandoned hospital. The Glendale Hospital in Maryland was built to accommodate an overwhelming number of tuberculosis patients from Washington, D.C. in the 1930s. Because the hospitals in the city had become overcrowded, patients were sent to neighboring hospitals like the Glendale Hospital in Maryland. Built in 1934, the hospital's sole purpose was to tend to tuberculosis patients and keep the horrible disease from spreading. At the time, an effective treatment For tuberculosis was still unknown. Because of this, people were quarantined, for fear that the disease would spread. Many would live out their lives in sanatoriums. The popular treatment for tuberculosis at the time was spending time outside in the fresh air. That's why Glendale was built on a 216-acre lot. It consisted of 23 buildings, separated by sprawling lawns. There were rooftop gardens for the patients to tend to. When weather permitted, all patient activity took place outside. Glendale was home to tuberculosis patients until the 1950s, when antibiotics became more widely available and proved to be a better treatment for the illness. In an article by Leah Y. Latimer in the Washington Post, she explains her mother's experience at the facility when it was believed that she had, quote, "...the White Plague." as tuberculosis was often referred to in those days. Though her mother didn't express many of the common symptoms, she was told she had tuberculosis. She'd had numerous family members and friends who suffered, some of whom died at Glendale. Her mother was pregnant with her at the time and would go into labor with her during her time at Glendale. She was delivered at a nearby hospital, but her mother wasn't allowed to hold or touch her. Her family told others that she was suffering a nervous breakdown because in those days, people didn't tell others that a family member had tuberculosis. But as time would tell, she actually didn't have tuberculosis. After she returned home, she wondered if she'd been exposed, and this fear kept her from experiencing a lifetime of hugs and closeness with her children. In 1960, Glendale was turned into a nursing home and hospital for impoverished patients. It was closed in 1981 because of high levels of asbestos. Abandoned hospitals lend themselves to local legends. Legend goes that it was once an insane asylum, or maybe even a prison. The old hospital has a fascinating history. I first heard about Glendale from my friend, J.L. Gilham, and was even more excited when she agreed to share her experience here on the podcast. J.L. Gilham is a former ghostwriter turned young adult indie author working on a series featuring Santa's daughter. She loves to create multimedia content like her original song, Snow Globe Prison, written for the first book in the Winter Wonderland Chronicles, that will have a music video out this winter. Hi, Jennifer. I'm so glad you offered to share your experience at Glendale with us. Thank you. I'm excited to talk about it, too. I haven't thought about it
1: for a while, but once I did start thinking about it and it brought back all these memories, some of them were nostalgic, but others were super creepy. So I'm excited, but I'm kind of like, oh, it was scary.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It sounds like it. I mean, just looking at pictures online of the place it seems super creepy. I mean, the vines are kind of growing up and the windows are busted out and the roof's kind of like in bad shape. I mean, I can't imagine. Oh, just yeah. freaks me out thinking about it. Yeah. So, so you, you had mentioned to me that you visited the Glendale um, Tuberculosis Sanatorium in the 1990s. What events kind of led to you deciding to do that?
1: Right. So I actually grew up not too far from there. And I spent a lot of time with some friends that summer when I was about 15. And we lived within walking distance of the hospital. And it was kind of one of those wow. things where uh, I don't know if everybody went there all the time. But I hadn't been there before until I started hanging out with these friends. And they were like, hey, you want to go there? And there was two girls and myself and maybe like three or four guys. And we all knew each other from school. So we went over there and we went a couple of times over the course of a few weeks And it was just one of those places where of course there's fence and there's a chain link part that's torn off or broken off and you go through the hole and it's like you're in this magical place, but it's super creepy and you instantly feel transported like it's very quiet. It's almost like being in the middle of a forest, but instead you're surrounded by buildings that look like they were in The Walking Dead or something and I remember the first thing that really stood out to me was the smell. I mean, outside is normal, but the moment you even open the door and you get near the hospital, it's stagnant. It's it's uh not like choking, but kind of. It's just very hard to breathe right right away. Even though a lot of the windows are broken, the air is just disgusting.
0: And there's so it's trash. like moldy and Yeah, that yeah, sort of thing. yeah,
1: and just kind of trash everywhere. And you're always on your guard, partly because there was uh, supposedly, a lot of homeless people living around there, which I, I didn't see, but also security guards. And we, we uh, eventually had to stop going because they almost caught us a few times and um, it got <laughs> more intense. But
0: yeah, so I feel privileged that I was able
1: to go before the intense security guards kind of took over.
0: Yeah, I think uh, a lot of us have those uh, moments when we were teenagers where there's this mysterious place that's nearby that probably has some type of, you know, local lore or something attached to it that we decide to go and explore and I, I know that that was definitely the case when I was growing up, too. So this is really cool to hear experience of something when that happened to you when you were a teen. And it, and it's also interesting that they even then that they had security around the place. I, I read that they still do. So that's kind of that's kind of interesting. Yeah. So what were your initial impressions of the place when you first walked in?
1: Right. So. I remember being arm in arm with one of my friends. We walked in, I think the whole time we had our arms hooked because we were scared. Uh, So we walked in and it's dark, but I think we had, we probably had flashlights. This is way before cell phones. So uh, flashlights and sunlight coming in through the windows, but it's definitely dark. And I remember walking into a hallway and there's trash everywhere. So you have to be careful where you step. We go Mm -hmm. into the first room and there's just spray paint and writing all over the walls, broken windows, shards of glass. And we keep exploring. And I rem- I, I think we went onto to at least the second floor because I remember holes in the floor. Like, I think that's partly why oh, the security wow. guards were there because it was very dangerous. Water had leaked sure. in all over the place and you could easily get hurt, which is half of the fun, to be honest. You know? <laughs> but, true, so, true. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we were arm in arm because we were scared, but also in case one of us fell th- through a hole, we could kind of <laughs> catch each other. And then the number one thing that stands out to me was the white padded walls in a room and the walls uh, some of the padding was torn but it looks very secure because even after decades most of the padding was still up but it was kind of gross but you could tell it was a padded room for people who basically might hurt themselves and I guess had to be put in there and that memory just oh still to this day just creeps me out whenever I think about it
0: yeah, I had heard that a lot of the local lore was that at one time it was an insane asylum. Is that something you grew up hearing about? Yeah, I actually
1: didn't know it was a tuberculosis hospital
0: until doing some research
1: because I, I'd always heard yeah. of an insane asylum and thought about it in yeah, that, that was, way. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So. That was the popular one that I read about. And I'm sure after going in there and seeing a padded room, that only like, right. intensified the truth of that. Yeah. Yes, definitely. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So, While you were there, did you sense anything, or see anything, or have any other type of uh, significant experience?
1: I, you know, I've had a handful of, I guess you'd say, supernatural experiences in my life, but I did not have any there, and I'm kind of relieved because I don't think I could have handled it. It, it was just so overwhelmingly creepy and eerie that if I even sensed the slightest thing, I would have bolted and never come back. But I'm glad I was able to, you know, just kind (laughs) of go a few times and. Uh, walk around and hang out in it um, but no no for the most part uh, it was just more of exploring super creepy places than actually sensing anything there
0: did you did any of your friends have anything happen or told tales of anything happening gosh I'm, I'm just looking. curious
1: <laughs> you know maybe I I do know a lot of them would go at night and and have a little party there uh Uh there are you know what there are underground tunnels that would lead to different buildings and I'd heard that they were flooded but I I'd also heard I don't remember the specifics but I did I do remember hearing some stories about the tunnels being maybe being haunted and just extra creepy I'm glad they were flooded because I'm sure we would have gone down there (laughs) if they were not it might have been a little too dramatic (laughs) but but uh but yeah so
0: yeah yeah so um, as a teen, you had mentioned to me that you had some sensitivities. Could you tell us a little about those?
1: Sure. So just referring back to the podcast you did on Nellie Bly, that was something that I felt connected to. And not just because she was a real person, but mm-hmm. because when I was reading or just listening through the podcast and her going into the you know mental institute, And her experiences, it felt so close to home for me because I grew up very sensitive to everything, smell, taste, touch, sound. And back in the day, people didn't know about, you know, sensory overload. We didn't really talk about things like that. And I just had people tell me I was making it up or trying to get attention, which was the opposite. I hated telling people about it. I felt like I was Mm. crazy. And then I also had, I would explain it like, you know, the picture of the angel on one shoulder and the demon on the other. I... Grew up hearing a lot of voices. I knew it wasn't schizophrenia, but I definitely had very strong thoughts in my head, and that was uh, a lot. It went along with the supernatural. I felt like you know the angels mm-hmm. and the demons. So um, right, right. It was uh it was a lot. I think that part of my fear of going to the mental institute related back to you know Nellie Bly and her going was I felt afraid my whole life that somebody was going to find out I belonged in one. And so as I'm walking around this real mental institute, or at least what I thought was at the time, I'm a little bit like, oh my gosh, what if people find out that I I hear these voices and sometimes I just feel like I'm crazy. And what if they locked me up in one of these? But then on the other hand, part of me was like, well, maybe that's what it will take for me to deal with my issues. Because whenever I had problems, I wouldn't deal with them or talk about them you know, and they leak out in some way. And I knew that wasn't healthy. But so it was one of those things where I kind of wanted to be locked up, so I could deal with problems. But I also kind of was scared that people would, you know, put me in a place like that, especially after hearing about Nellie Bly. And, you know, I, I don't think it's like that today. But just there's that fear. What if I tell people I have problems? What if it becomes worse? You know, what if they shame me? Or, put me somewhere I don't want to be or, you know, just your head just goes in all these different directions.
0: Sure. Yeah. I mean, do you think that the visit to Glendale actually cemented that fear or do you think that it helped alleviate it in some way?
1: You know, that's a good question. I think that at the time, just after going to it and talking with the friends who went being like, what did you think? What did you experience? you know, could have been one of those times when I did eventually open up to who I felt were safe people to talk about some of my problems. And so, yeah, I do, I do feel like it, it was kind of one of those ways where you're like, how do I bring up that I'm struggling? Oh, well, we just went to a mental institute. Let's talk about that. And then kind of transition from there. So yeah, I I think that is something that can kind of help sometimes.
0: Absolutely. So your memories of Glendale are still fresh even after all these years. Was there something about it that made it live on in your memory? Something about that experience or perhaps it was the feelings related to how you you bonded and connected with your friends.
1: So part of it growing up I wondered why I loved going there. And I didn't go a ton, but like I loved it. Like I felt like it was part of me and I thought that's really weird. What is that? And when I uh, Actually, we we moved a few years ago from England. And when I was living in England, it's very different there. They're not worried about lawsuits every five seconds. You can climb all over uh, thousand-year-old castles that have been slowly deteriorating over time. And I realized this is it. I love exploring. I love that sense of adventure. And I feel like I'm dying if I don't have it. If I can't just go somewhere, wander around and explore. And forests are great, but that doesn't do it for me. you know. So
0: mm-hmm. I just kind
1: of realized I just need that adventure I need to wander and I really like things that are breaking down I like cemeteries I like you know those places that other people would kind of think are creepy or scary or maybe even boring just to me they're exciting and fun and also beautiful and kind of like a gothic way so that that kind of helped me understand part of the draw was just that's who I am sense of adventure and part of it was just like it felt like Alice in Wonderland it felt like Nobody else was there but you and your friends. And you can kind of do what you want. And it's a little dangerous, like riding a roller coaster. You know, there's a little danger, but not really. Uh, you know, right. so I think that, that adventure. And I, I think that teenagers need that. You know, they they just can't sit around and be bored all the time. They're going to get into trouble. And just having some place that was a little dangerous, but that we could go to.
0: It was exciting. True. And,
1: you know, gave us something to do without getting into more trouble.
0: Right, right. I totally connect with that, wanting to adventure. I think like even going to local places, places I've never been, that's something that really excites me because I actually say, oh, we're going on an adventure today. You know, I really yeah. feel that way every <laughs> time I go a new place. I mean, right. I feel it's almost like this childlike excitement that yes. you just, I mean, you just live for. Yes. And also I have, I am a huge fan of all things abandoned. I even yes, have like that's a, it, abandoned. <laughs> that's the word. Yes. Perfect. I mean, I kind of feel like it speaks to my soul in a way, because there are times I think all of us feel like we have been abandoned or we're struggling, or even if it's, it's something that's in our past, that still ties to a place that is deteriorating and fading away. We connect with that feeling in some way. And there's something beautiful about it because it's in those moments that we find our strength, who we are. I I don't know. I think that there's something tied to that in these abandoned places. I'm in love with them. I'm in love with them. (laughs) Yes, yeah.
1: I was luckily uh, able to visit Highgate Cemetery in London, which I didn't know until I moved there, but it's extremely famous. And it was an abandoned cemetery that sold and cleaned up, but half of it is still falling apart. And it was another one of those places where you could just wander around and you can see brand new artistically made tombstones uh like one of them was an actual piano was their tombstone and uh, but then you could go off into like this backwooded area and there were hundreds of tombstones that were just falling apart years old and the words were missing you know they had worn off and Mm -hmm. it's just that sense of wonder and just feeling like you're in some place forgotten but you get to be there it's it does it does feel magical
0: yeah, it does. Just being connected in a place with stories that have come before you. Yes. There's something really neat about that and definitely inspiring, especially for creatives. And also, so you and I both are INFJs. Yes. So we yes. have talked a little bit about how INFJs are sensitive to things of the paranormal or tend to be. Yes. Um, and so have you had anything happen in your life where you're like, Oh, yep. That's definitely the INFJ in me. <laughs> yeah, and another thing, like I just wish
1: I'd grown up knowing INFJ or oh, me too. <laughs> being like, there's a highly sensitive person book that changed my life. That was the day I learned. Oh, I don't belong in a mental institute. I am a highly sensitive person to everything, you know. And yeah, I I uh, grew up actually right outside of DC. It was close to DC, and I remember going into some shops. And I literally just walked into a shop. I can't remember exactly what kind it was. And I had to leave. I just felt this demonic presence so strongly on me. I was overwhelmed. You know, I, I backed out of it. And I I don't know, I I would say I've also met certain people that I instantly had a very bad feeling about, or Mm -hmm. uh, I've had impressions for people is a way you could say it where I felt like I could kind of sense something was going to happen to them. I guess you could call it psychic. Uh, I'm. I uh what's the word? We were talking about the word discernment, you know. Some people mm-hmm, would use the word mm-hmm. discernment. And I've had a few experiences where I I'll just tell you one. I was I was working in my office as a secretary, and one of the clients came in and I felt like I was supposed to told tell him he needed to be faithful with his money, which is so uncomfortable mm. and unprofessional. <laughs> like I was like, Oh, I'm gonna get fired yeah. for this one. <laughs> but I told him I was walking him to, you know, my coworker's office and I was just like, you know, I just wanted to share. And I'm talking all awkward. He's already like, this is weird. You know, and I, I told him, you know, I just felt like you, you need to be faithful with your finances. And I just went on a little bit and I was like, okay, have a nice day. And I like ran off. And uh, a couple, couple months later, he went to jail for embezzling. And, um,
0: wow. yeah. So
1: that was one of the times where I just, you know, do get impressions. And so yeah.
0: it can be yeah. overwhelming, okay. but it can also be helpful at times. Definitely. I've had experiences like that as well. I have a strong discernment too. And yeah, I had experiences when I was a kid. I used to think that there was something wrong with me for having these feelings or these impressions. And it wasn't until I was older and really researched and started to understand what was happening that I started to become okay and even like, you know, seek out learning and understanding more about it. So I definitely connect with you on that. Yeah. very interesting. And it's also confirmation for you that what you were saying was definitely true. And it was, you know, given to you to say to him. That's true.
1: That's a good point. Yeah, it helped me understand, okay, I really am not crazy. And I need to pay attention because I think in my youth, my problem was I was trying to shut it down. I was trying to be like, No, that's not real. No, I need to ignore that. No, I don't want to be made fun of. And then slowly, you know, going through life and seeing experiences happen. And I'm like, oh yeah, this is real. And other people might not, under- not understand it. I might not understand it, but that doesn't mean it's not authentic and has a place, so.
0: Totally, and now you know that this is something you should always trust, which is, that's the hardest thing, or it has been for me. Yeah. It's just now, okay, I can trust this. This is real. This is coming from somewhere good. So, yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah. Well, I am so glad that you decided to share this information with us, and it definitely connects with the Nellie Bly episode. I think what she did was incredibly brave, and all the people who were patients at Glendale, I feel like there's a lot of stories there, and yes. a lot of historians are interested there, and also paranormal investigators. I read that a lot are visiting really fascinating history, and I'm so you glad you shared that- your experience with us.
1: Yeah, thank you. I will actually be moving back to the area eventually, not too far away. So if I'm able to get in officially, legally, I will take some pictures. <laughs> camera or something, I'll, I'll keep you posted.
0: Thank you so much, Jennifer. Thanks for having me. Today, the Old Glendale Tuberculosis Sanatorium is frequented by teens, ghost hunters, and other curious legend trippers. Nowadays, police monitor the site and people aren't allowed in the buildings. But the dark history of the Glendale Hospital still intrigues historians and storytellers today. Fabled is produced by me, Vanessa K. Eccles, with music by Kevin McLeod and Epidemic Sound. Many thanks to our special guest, J.L. Gilham. I also want to welcome Jess, Heather, and Lisa as new patrons. Fabled is an independent podcast made possible by listener support. If you'd like to help support the show, please visit FabledCollective.com. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time.